Everyone that Jesus healed died. Everyone that Jesus raised from the dead died. At a later time, they all died. But everyone that Jesus saves lives forever. John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Such a glorious promise that the redeemed know is the blessed hope swallows up all of life's trials and even death itself in one single gulp. If today is your appointment with death, are you prepared to meet your Maker? Would eternal life in Christ Jesus be your portion? If your answer is less than absolutely yes, you need to settle the issue today. You need to make your peace with God. Jesus calls this place born again. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again is a place where one is literally born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God. Here at the altar of born again, the sons and daughters of Adam can repent and turn from their sins, believing on the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, for the salvation of their souls. Romans 10.10 reads, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is where born again begins. At this place, you become a son or daughter of God and a new name, your new name, is written down in glory. Will today be your day of salvation? Will today be your day of forgiveness and deliverance? You are in the valley of decision. Choose life and live forever. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God said, Genesis 5, 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. A male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Man said, Frank Zindler, former president of the American Atheist, the most devastating thing, though, that biology did to Christianity was the discovery of biological evolution. Now that we know that Adam and Eve never were real people, the central myth of Christianity is destroyed. If there never was an Adam and Eve, there never was an original sin. If there was never an original sin, there is no need of salvation. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature article 850 that will once again prove the full veracity of the Word of God. All of these beautiful features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of the saints and as soul bait for the fishers of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting with us. May God's face shine upon you with light and truth.
From the very beginning of the beautiful book, Satan has mounted his challenge, but he has failed. He always fails. On day six of creation week, the Bible declares God created Adam, the world's first man. Some suppose that proving all of mankind has sprung forth from one man and that this one man was made by God out of dirt just over 6,000 plus years ago would be an impossibility. That supposition is wrong. There was a first man, Adam, and this is provable beyond any reasonable doubt. Of all the evidence in this feature, the most important, of course, is the Bible's record. This record was not handed down from generation to generation by word of mouth, but was given by God unto Moses, who penned the book of Genesis. The record received by Moses was from the supernatural creator God, whose memory is unimpeachable. A wealth of third-party Adamic confirmations are available. This feature will address several high points. One of antiquity's most renowned historians is Flavius Josephus. One of his historical volumes is titled The Antiquities of the Jews. You'll find the following paragraph concerning Adam and his son Seth in that text. Now Adam, who was the first man and made out of the earth, for our discourse must now be about him, after Abel was slain and Cain fled away on account of his murder, was solicitous for posterity and had a vehement desire of children, he being 230 years old, after which time he lived, other 700, and then died. He had indeed many other children, but Seth in particular. As for the rest, it would be tedious to name them. I will therefore only endeavor to give an account of those that proceeded from Seth. Now this Seth, when he was brought up and came to those years in which he could discern what was good, became a virtuous man, and as he was himself of an excellent character, so did he leave children behind him who imitated his virtues. All of these proved to be of good dispositions. They also inhabited the same country without dissensions and in a happy condition, without any misfortunes falling upon them till they died. They also were the inventors of that peculiar sort of wisdom which is concerned with the heavenly bodies in their order, and that their inventions might not be lost before they were sufficiently known upon Adam's prediction that the world was to be destroyed at one time by the force of fire, and at another time by the violence and quantity of water, they made two pillars, the one of brick, the other of stone. They inscribed their discoveries on them both, that in case the pillar of brick should be destroyed by the flood, the pillar of stone might remain, and exhibit those discoveries to mankind, and also inform them that there was another pillar of brick erected by them. Now this remains in the land of Syriad to this day. End of quote. Concerning Adam and his roots in the clay, you'll find the following in the God Said, Man Said feature, Man from Dirt Updated. The Bible declares that God created man from the dust of the earth just over 6,000 years ago. It teaches that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. The Hebrew word Adam means red dirt or ruddy, and rightfully so, since Adam was made from red clay. Josephus had this to say concerning Adam. This man was called Adam, which in Hebrew tongue signifies one that is red, because he was formed out of red earth, compounded together, for of that kind is virgin and true earth, end of quote. 
The idea of God making man out of dirt, as far as unbelievers are concerned, is absurd. But in a recent Newsweek magazine article titled Life from Clay, the following story was printed. As if the biblical tale of man's creation from the dust of the ground were haunting their unconscious minds, NASA chemists have presented evidence that life on earth may have gotten its start in clay. They have shown that clay attracts the organic molecules that make up protein and DNA, the ingredients of life, possibly from the sea during high tides. The clays might then trigger chemical reactions that string the building blocks into proteins and DNA. The latest experiments show how, according to NASA's Leela Coyne, Clays scavenge energy released by such natural processes as radioactive decay. They store the energy in the form of trapped electrons and then release it when subjected to stress, an earthquake, for example, or from wetting and drying as the tides rise and recede. Says Coyne, the ability of clays to store energy, catalyze reactions, and perhaps self-replicate all, at, all attributes of living systems is forcing us to re-examine at a very fundamental level the definition of life, end of quote. It is common knowledge that the chemical and mineral content of a person's body is identical to the earth's. Everyone knows that when a person dies, their body turns back to dust, to dust. The ancient Miyatsu people of China have chronicled their lineage back to Japheth, the son of Noah, and from there all the way back to the world's first man, whom their genealogical record calls dirt. Author E. Trox, in an article titled Genesis According to the Mayo People, again renders the original Miyatsu name in the following quote. It is clearly meant to portray Adam the version of whose name in the Miatsu language, as in Hebrew, Akkadian, and so on, means earth or clay, the substance from which he was created, end of quote. The world's non-biblical societal records are replete with accounts of the earth's first man, Adam, the man of clay. The following excerpts are lifted from the God Said, Man Said feature, Adam and Eve, in the ancient record. The scientific discoveries that certify the accuracy of the Genesis, uh, Genesis account, excuse me, are daunting, but there is more than science. Adam, whose name literally means red dirt, had the breath of life breathed up his nostrils. Adam is imprinted on the very historic memory of the peoples of the entire world. The accounts that follow did not come from God's first-hand account in the book of Genesis, but were verbally passed down from Adam to his direct offspring and then on to subsequent generations. The following excerpts are from Theodore H. Gaster's book, Myth, Legend, and Custom in the Old Testament. This fancy is, however, by no means confined to Scripture. The Mesopotamians, too, conceived man to have been fashioned in such manner. In a cuneiform text from Asher, the earlier capital of Assyria, the goddess Arura is said to have pinched him out of clay, and by virtue of this expertise, it is the same goddess who likewise fashions the hero Enkidu and the epic of Gilgamesh. A similar legend was current among the Greeks. Prometheus is said to have molded the first man out of clay mixed with the water of the river Panopes and Phocis while in one of the mimes of Herondas, a pander bringing charges against the man, 
who had broken into his brothel, observes tartly that he ought to know what kind of fellow he is and of what clay he is, compounded. The Australian blacks in the neighborhood of Melbourne said that Bungie, the creator, cut three large sheets of bark with his big knife. On one of these he placed some clay and worked it up with his knife into a proper consistence. He then laid a portion of the clay on one of the other pieces of bark and shaped it into a human form. First he made the feet, then the legs, then the trunk, the arms, and the head. Thus he made a clay man on each of the two pieces of bark, and being well displeased with his handiwork, he danced around them for joy. Next he took stringy bark from the eucalyptus tree, made hair of it, and stuck it on the heads of his clay men. Then he looked at them again, was pleased with his work, and again danced around them for joy. He then lay down on them, blew his breath hard into their mouths, their noses, and their navels, and presently they stirred, spoke, and rose up as full-grown men. A very generally received tradition in Tahiti was that the first human pair was made by Tero, the chief god. They said that after he had formed the world, he created man out of red earth, which was also the food of mankind, until breadfruit was produced. Further, some say that one day, Tero called for the man by name, and when he came, he made him fall asleep. As he slept, the Creator took out one of his bones and made of it a woman, whom he gave to the man to be his wife, and the pair became the progenitors of mankind. This narrative was taken down from the lips of the natives and their early years of the mission to Tahiti. The missionary who records it observes, This always appeared to me a mere recital of the mosaic account of creation, which they had heard from some European, and I never placed any reliance on it, although they have repeatedly told me it was a tradition among them before any foreigner arrived. In Nui, one of the Ellis Islands, they say that the god Aluli made models of a man and a woman out of earth, and when he had raised them up, they came to life. He called the name Tepapi and the woman Tatati. The natives of Malakula, one of the new hedrages, uh, gave the name of Bokor to the great being who needed the first man and woman out of clay. The inhabitants of Nuhura in the Kai Islands of New Guinea say that their ancestors were fashioned out of clay by the supreme god Duadlora, who breathed life into the clay figures. The Bagabo, a pagan tribe of southeastern Mindano, say that in the beginning, a certain Dewada made the sea and the land and planted trees of many sorts. Then he took two lumps of earth, shaped them like human figures, and spat on them so they became men and women. The Kumi, who inhabit portions of Arakan and the Chittagong Hill tracks in eastern India, India, excuse me, told Captain Lewin of the, fo the following story of the creation of man. God made the world and the trees and the creeping things first, and after that he made one man and one woman, forming their bodies of clay. But every night when he had done his work, there came a great snake, which while God was sleeping devoured the two images. This happened twice or thrice, and God was at his wit's end, for he had to work all day and could not finish the pair in less than twelve hours. Besides, if he did not sleep, he would be no good, as the narrator observed with some show of probability. So, as I have said, God was at his wit's end. But at last he got up early one morning and first made a dog and put life into it. And that night when he had finished the images, he set the dog to watch them. And when the serpent came, the dog barked 
and frightened it away. The pagan accounts continue. So Mahedu, by whom they mean Seba, sent the crow to find for him an anthill of red earth, and the bird discovered such an anthill among the mountains of Beetle. Thereupon the god repaired to the spot, and taking a handful of the red earth, he fashioned out of it two images, and the likeness of a man and a woman. Turning now to Africa, we find the legend of the creation of mankind out of clay among the Shilluks of the White Nile, who ingeniously explained the different complexions of the various races by the differently colored clays out of which they were fashioned. They say that the creator Juok molded all men out of earth, and that while he was engaged in the work of creation, he wandered around the world. In the land of the whites, he found the pure white earth or sand, and out of it he shaped white men. Then he came to the land of Egypt, and out of the mud of the Nile he made red or brown men. Lastly, he came to the land of the Shilluks, and finding there black earth, he created black men out of it. The Yu, speaking tribes of Tega land in West Africa, think that God still makes men out of clay. When a little of the water with which he moistens the clay remains over, he pours it on the ground, and out of that he makes the bad and disobedient people. When he wishes to make a good man, he makes him out of good clay. The Pima Indians, another tribe of Arizona, uh, Arizona, excuse me, alleged that the Creator took clay into his hands and, mixing it with the sweat of his own body, kneaded the whole into a lump. Then he blew upon the lump till it began to live and move and became a man and a woman. The priests of the Natchez Indians in Louisiana told Duparts that God had kneaded some clay, such as that which potters use, and had made it into a little man and that after examining it and finding it well-formed, he blew upon his work, and forthwith that little man had life, grew, acted, walked, and found himself a man perfectly well-shaped. An expert on ancient history, author David Rawl, waves in on Adam and Dirt in his 454-page book Legend, The Genesis of Civilization. He refers to errata in this first paragraph. The mountains here are rich in mineral resources, especially gold, for which Arata was renowned. The walls of the city of Arata were plastered in rich red okra, mined from the mountain known as Kerhashera, whilst we had seen just such a red mountain near Takashulium. Red okra was also the substance used to cover the remains of the deceased in prehistoric times, as attested at the archaeological sites in this area. Indeed, the name Adam, Red Earth, may be connected to this ritual. Again, Rawl writes, Here the word Aphar is translated as dust for poetical reasons, but this word also has the same meaning clay. So in both the biblical and Mesopotamian traditions, man was made from clay, end of quote. Ancient history points to a first man, Adam, and the fall of mankind. Again from David Rawls' book, Legend, The Genesis of Civilization, under the heading, The Great Sages. We have closely examined the earliest ancestors of both the genealogy of the Hammurabi dynasty and the Assyrian king list and found a series of remarkable linguistic coincidences with the names of the biblical antediluvian pre-flood patriarchs. But we began this whole exercise uh, with the Barosis and the Sumerian king list. So what about the Sumerian as opposed to Amorite tradition regarding the pre-flood rulers? 
Is there anything in this source which will add to our linguistic and historical synthesis between Genesis and the extra-biblical traditions? We now come to the question of the Sumerian Akalus, or wise men. These are not the antediluvian kings themselves, but the sages or advisors associated with them. Mesopotamian literature contains sporadic reference to seven sages, Akalu, who lived before the flood and who were apparently regarded as the originators of the arts and skills of civilization. Who were these extraordinary beings? They are given very strange physical characteristics, fish-like bodies with human heads, and to all intents and purposes are mythological features. But once the mythological veils are removed, there seems to be a distant memory of some of the antediluvian patriarchs of Genesis lurking in the names and deeds of these Akalus. According to the uh, Akalu tradition, the first and greatest of the sages was a contemporary of King Elu, the first ruler of Eridu. This was the purification priest of Eridu, Adapa, or Yuan Adapa, who ascended to heaven. Verosus calls him uh, Onus from Yuan. In Tablet W2030, held by the British Museum, we find just the name Ewan given for the first sage. However, Ewan also appears in other ancient texts and the double name form of Ewan Adapa, where it has been argued Adapa is an epithet meaning the wise. One possible explanation of the myth that this wise counselor of the king was half fish and half human is to be found in the potential confusion of the word Adapa with other similar-sounding Sumerian word Utaba, which means born of the sea. With the recognized changes from U to A, T to D, and B to P, we would get Adapa. Given the Akalu's close connection with the sacred Abzu and Eridu, it would hardly be surprising to find a tradition of a sea creature derived from the epithet Adapa, even though the true meaning was probably wise man and not one born of the sea. According to a much later inscription of the late Seleucid period, Onus Adapa was the founder of a temple of great antiquity, perhaps the earliest sacred shrine of Eridu, the very first temple on earth. All this becomes much more significant when it is realized that many Sumerologists and biblical scholars have made the direct connection between Adapa and the biblical Adam. One simple shift from the uh, consonant P to M give us the biblical name. We can then read the Sumerian Adapa epic in a whole new light. Let us briefly compare the broad themes of the Genesis 2, chapter 3 narrative surrounding Adam in the story of Adapa. As Bill Shea has observed, there are clear parallels to be made. Both Adam and Adapa were tested for their obedience by their respective deities. The test in both cases involved food. Both forfeited immortality and became mortal human beings. Certain consequences were passed down upon humankind. Adam and Adapa belonged to the first generation of humankind. As we have seen, their names can be equated linguistically. Thus, Adam not only appears in the Assyrian king list and the genealogy of Hammurabi dynasty, but may also surface in one of the great Sumerian epic traditions, end of quote. Many in the world today observe various forms of ancestor worship, and the genesis of such activity 
is found throughout ancient history, finally from David Rawl. But what about Atum, the first god and living being in Egyptian theology? You may be ahead of me, but just in case you need a little encouragement, we shall return to the vagaries of comparative language to complete the picture. The name Atum is written as A-T-M with a loaf or bread sign for the letter T. However, it is recognized by linguists that the letters T and D are often interchangeable within the different language groups of the ancient Near East. For example, Kenneth Kitchen has shown that Egyptian TWTW is Semitic DADU, the beloved, or IE, the name David. As we saw in chapter 6, the Sumerian Adama becomes Atama in Akkadian. So I believe we are equally justified in substituting the Egyptian T and A to M and with a D giving us Adam. End of quote. The Bible, societal records, history, archaeology, and now science all shout yes to Adam. The following paragraphs are from the God Said, Man Said feature, Why Chromosome Adam and God's Children Are Already There. Evolutionists theorized that there was no certain place from which man originated, but around a million years ago, man was springing up from all over the globe. They were highly perplexed. Molecular science discovered that all of mankind alive today came from the now scientifically famous mtDNA Eve and Y chromosome Adam. But you guessed it, the children of faith were already there. By the way, the age is not millions or tens of thousands, but 6,000. The headline in the September 7, 2013 issue of Science News reads, Why Chromosome Adam Gets Older, and the subhead reads, Male and female ancestors were roughly contemporary. On God Said, Man Said, you will find several features that address this issue and that confirm Holy Writ. Several excerpts from the September feature in Science News follow. Men might need some more pages in their family album. The largest analysis to date of the human Y chromosome suggests that modern men can trace their family tree further back in time than previously thought. One of the studies, an analysis of 69 men from nine populations worldwide published in the August 2 issue of Science, finds that their most recent common ancestor— lived 120,000 to 156,000 years ago. That's roughly the same time that the last common ancestor of woman is estimated to have lived, researchers report. The Y chromosome passed down from father to son and mitochondrial DA passed down from mother to child are useful in retracing ancestry because they don't undergo genetic reshuffling as the rest of the genetic instruction book does. Researchers analyze mutations in these parts of the genome to assess when groups split apart. The hypothetical common ancestors of these genetic lineages are sometimes called Y-chromosome Adam and mitochondrial Eve. End of quote. Darwinian scientists speculate that there were other humans besides Adam and Eve, but that they died out. But speculation is all that is. Again, from Science News. But they are real people whose Y chromosome and mitochondrial DNA have been passed down with modifications to every living male and female. The findings may overturn excuse me, previous results that suggested Y chromosome Adam was only a half or a third as old as mitochondrial Eve. 
Most previous analysis dated the Y-chromosome common ancestor to between 50,000 and 115,000 years ago, and the mitochondrial DNA common ancestor to be 150,000 and 240,000 years ago. Bustamante and colleagues also looked at mitochondrial DNA and their study population and found a common female ancestor 99,000 to 148,000 years ago. Another study in the same issue of science pushes the Y ancestor back even further in time. Palo Francolacci of the University of Caesarea in Italy and colleagues analyzed DNA from 1,204 Sardinian men and determined that Y-chromosome Adam lived 180,000 to 200,000 years ago, end of quote. Their age calculations are way off, but their conclusion that all humankind walking the earth has one common father and one common mother, which they title Y-chromosome Adam and mtDNA Eve, is of course correct. The first man, Adam, red dirt, was created by God to live forever. But he cast off his faith and obedience to God, and he died. All of the sons and daughters of Adam were sold in sin and spiritually stillborn. That's all of us. Therefore, we needed a Savior, someone to buy us back, a Redeemer. We needed someone to pay the ransom for our souls, someone to set us free from the bondage of sin. That someone was and is Jesus Christ. Choose Christ and live forever. God said, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. God said, Genesis 5, 1 and 2, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Man said, Frank Zindler, former president of the American Atheist, the most devastating thing, though, that biology did to Christianity was the discovery of biological evolution. Now that we know that Adam and Eve never were real people, the central myth of Christianity is destroyed. If there never was an Adam and Eve, there never was an original sin. If there was never an original sin, there is no need of salvation. Now you have the record.